Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Listen, you've heard my hashtag, different, better, more. What will you do differently, better, or more of in 2023? Some of you have already committed to healing from grief by working with me and my non-clinical approach to grief recovery and support. But for those of you who want to round out your healing with a clinical approach, there's BetterHelp and their network of over 25,000 licensed therapists. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether that's by text, by chat, phone, or even video. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, with more scheduling flexibility and at a much more affordable price. Use this link to get 10% off your first month. BetterHelp.com forward slash C words. That's better H-E-L-P.com forward slash C words. The content and conversations with me on this podcast are for informational and educational purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for legal, medical, or clinical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of a licensed or qualified professional. Listen, grief doesn't have to be grim. That's why when I talk about it on this podcast, it's about dealing with grief and loss in a way that influences the changes you want to make in your life. As you heal, what do you want to do next? Make a professional pivot, end a toxic relationship or friendship? I want you to have the confidence to navigate change. These are real stories from my one-on-one coaching sessions and my inspiring interviews with change makers. I'm Marcia Cork, the change coach, and this is Ooh, Those C Words. MCs, welcome back. I am Marcia Cork, and this is another episode of Ooh, Those C Words. Now, last week, you all met Lakia. Lakia was brave enough to let you in on our session and on the activity where she walked through her life events and she shared the truth about her trauma and how she coped. And since that episode, there has been such an outpouring of love and support for Lakia and for her family. And some of you did say that it was hard listening to her and not being able to comfort her. You talked about that uncomfortable silence. Some of you actually said that you wished you could reach out to her and hug her yourself. So I know, Lakia, you probably appreciate that love and support coming from the listeners. And today, Lakia is back as she prepares to do two activities with her kids. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, episode 40, I mentioned that Lakia is a mother of five and she's dealing with the loss of her husband. Um, And then just a few months later, the loss of her father-in-law. And with her husband in particular, she's dealing with some conflicted emotions of being in a loving relationship, but also recognizing it as as a toxic relationship. 
And so she is wanting to cope and heal in a way that's healthy so that she can adequately support her kids through this loss, you know, this loss of their father and of their grandfather. And what's ironic about her story, and she can, you know, tell you more in just a few minutes, is Lakia has mentioned that it used to be her husband that was the emotional support for the kids. And just like so many mothers are, we're the taskmasters, right? We we take care of the day-to-day the -day operations, making sure everybody is, you know, healthy and and that homework is getting done and, you know, running the household and that he was more of the emotional support. So I love how deliberate you are about going through these exercises and doing this work and wanting to do the activities for the kids so that you can be that emotional support for him. So why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Tell the listeners what you mean about how he was the emotional support and now how it's time for you to, you know, to take on that role. Um, well, I learned going through my exercises and then also previously, like, I don't think I shared this with you, but <laughs> you'll know it now that um, I guess because it wasn't given to me, a lack there because I didn't get the emotional support from my mom Yeah, that I just knew how to. Um, and ironically, the two of us, me and my mother were in a counseling one time. And the counselor said to her when she was talking about all the things that she do mm -hmm. and the counselor said, well, that's how you take care of a pet. Mm. You know, that, that's how you take care of an animal because there was no really emotional. And so yeah. I can honestly accept that because I didn't have it. There was yeah. nothing to pour from in a depletion, but in the relationship, he was always the go-to the fun dad. Yeah. The more disciplinary one. Um, as I got from my mom and then everything was like, they would just go <laughs> back door and talk to him about everything. But now that yeah. he, he's gone, like, I don't want them to have anything. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it in the last thing. He lost his mom at 11. No, you had to and Okay. He lost his mom at 11, um, due to, I think it was pelvic cancer. Okay. If I'm correct, but he, I believe a lot of the mental stuff that he carried from not being able to get counseling and not being able to get that off his chest mm -hmm. is what led to his health conditions. And, you know, some of the things we had in our marriage. So mm -hmm. being that I'm the only parent that they have left, I don't want the same cycle for them. That is, that yeah. is a Doing really good observation that, you know, that, that a lot of what he carried into his adult life, adolescent years probably as well, but adult life, um, not having adequate support at home, not having a sense of emotional support at home, because a lot of times that does come from our mothers as well, you know, yeah. that emotional support. That's, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So I also want to check in on where you stand with sharing last week's conversation with the kids, because you'd reached out saying that you were you know, kind of on the fence about whether to share that episode. And the last thing we were saying is that I think it would be helpful. I think it would be helpful in letting them hear how vulnerable you were in telling the stories, um, reliving those experiences, allowing yourself to get emotional, but without having to retell it. So you would be kind of playing it, pausing wherever you need to so they can ask questions but I think it would be helpful for them to, to hear you get emotional, but then also share your past, share that history that they are not aware of. You know, we see mom in one way, 
we don't really think about our moms as being kids and having living, having lived through experiences with their own mothers, with their own parents, and how that shapes and shapes them is into who they are today. So very much like what you've learned about your husband just from knowing about his past, they'll get to learn more about you from hearing about your past. So where, where are you with that? Um, I think the suggestion you gave me was a good idea in um, letting them hear it, stop it and talk about it. Um, the hesitation was, and again, from the last thing. So anybody who missed the first episode, sorry, you're going to have to listen. <laughs> but I always took it upon myself to be the bad one. And I did not want their memory of their father tarnished. Like I would rather take it up, take all the suffering upon myself. Like that's the part I didn't want them to hear. I, even though they seen some of the fights, even though they seen some of the arguments and were privy of it, like I didn't want them to have to hear it stated because I'd rather be the bad person and his legacy live on, but that's not the truth. So exactly. Yeah. Yep. So we've talked about that. So you're wearing a mask. Yes. You're wearing a costume, you know, painting yeah. yourself as the villain. And I don't think that that's essential for your healing or theirs to, to only see him in one way. So you've yeah. already said they've, they've seen some of the, the toxicity for themselves. Yes. And then we've had conversations about this term, conflicting emotions. So, you know, you attended the Different Better More event. You're part of the Slack community. So you've heard this term conflicting emotions before, but how much of it do you, you know, recall and understand? Would you be able to communicate conflicting emotions to the kids when you do this exercise, these exercises? So tell me what you remember about this concept, conflicting emotions. It's just basically when you feel two different things that are in contradiction to each other, like, um, I guess the example would be like how someone may be grieving, but they may laugh. Okay. At a situation mm -hmm. as opposed mm -hmm. to crying because <laughs> the expected emotion would be to cry, yeah. but it could be conflicting in them because like they could not be dealing with it or that could just be the way that they're grieving. So that's what I understand the conflicting emotions. And yeah, I would be able to, because like I said, they are my legacy and I want to make sure that they have the best of everything. I want to be the mom to them that I didn't have. Yeah. So it, if it's doing all of this is what it takes, I'm going to do it times two, <laughs> times, <Okay>. six. <laughs> okay. times six. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's good for them to be able to hear the stories and know that as you take them through the exercise, that it's okay if they are disappointed in his behavior, that yeah. they can still love their dad. That even that's what you experienced that yes. you were in love with this man, even knowing that the relationship is toxic. Yes. Right. And so it's, and that's okay. So it's, I think it's good for them to see because it's exactly what you want to communicate that they can still be disappointed with behavior and still love the person. Yes. Right. It might be good to know going in um, any observations that you can recall about differences in their relationship. Cause you know how it is with siblings, not everybody has the same relationship with mom. Not everybody has the same relationship with dad. When you go into them telling their, their stories and sharing their different life events and experiences, you'll want to communicate to them that it's okay if one person tells their story and they reacted or have um, an emotional response that's different from the others, you know, to communicate in advance that that's okay too. Yeah. And to let them chime in and share 
what they remember about the incident or what they remember about this event or this particular memory, even if it's different, that it's okay to share that if it's different. Yeah. Are there any examples that you can think of where that might be the case? Um, given the oldest that's in the house is a teenage girl and she is five years older than the next sibling. Like, I think the conflicting emotion will be, like I said, that was her person. Yeah. So it may be hard for her to hear anything bad about her person. Because yeah. I don't know, just like I'm going through with my mom and I remember things as a teenager at her age with my mom. It's kind of like that that angst that's between a teenage girl and their mom. Mm -hmm. and, and, and dad is that she's very much a daddy's girl. So I can see the emotions being conflicting as like, she may not remember it that way or yeah. if she talked to him, that was, I didn't mention it, but that was something he did too that I didn't like. He talked to her and we had to have a conversation one time. Like that was his spouse. Uh, uh -huh. And I was like, you, she's a child. Like you shouldn't be telling her, like, I don't go to them and tell them X, Y, and Z happened because that's not, you know, that's not yeah. for them to be in the middle of, of choosing one parent. So I can see yeah. that being a big problem with her. So he talked to her like his confidant. Yes. So that was, you know why? Because it it could be judgment free. Yes. Because he's talking to, yeah, he's talking to a child and he isn't going to get the same level of judgment and expectation that he would get from an adult. Yes. So, yeah, so that will be some, that will be a unique bond that maybe they have that the other kids don't have. Yeah. So, so you can prepare, um, you know, give them a little preview into the conversation of what the conversation might feel like or how uncomfortable or awkward that might be if she feels differently than the way that the rest of them feel or vice versa. So okay. anything you can think about in advance where they might experience, you know, some, some differences, just remind them that it's okay. 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 So even with, you know, since we're talking about conflicting emotions with just conflict in general, um, what you're doing with this exercise is you're creating that cognitive dissonance. You've heard that term before. Yeah. And, and, and that's what changes behavior and attitudes. So that's exactly what the goal of this exercise is in helping you know, helping you heal, helping them heal is about changing behavior and changing attitudes, changing percep your perception of these events. Because when we walk through trauma and life events, we are seeing them typically in one way over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Right. And then because we know that we're going to experience them the same way, we try to suppress them sometimes, like not yeah. relive them leave them in the past. And so having these conversations, um, forcing yourself to recall them and, you know, relive the memories is mm -hmm. actually giving you a new way of looking at it. It's giving you a broader picture of the incident, of the memory. I'm having you look at them to examine any positives that were going on around you. Not necessarily with the, it doesn't have to be with the event, but is there anything positive that um, also came out of this event that maybe we don't think about. And then having you rate 
um, you know, kind of scale the emotion or the impact that that had on you. It's important to also do that, that rating too, because when you think about one event and this one event had triggering uh, a negative response, a negative emotion, and then you can say, yeah, that one was big. I would put that on a scale of one to 10. That was a nine. But then when you think about this next event, then you say, but that was really a three or a two that actually didn't have as much as an impact on me now that I think about it as this one did. And right. so maybe you get something out of recognizing that difference that maybe a way of coping um, or not coping came out of one event versus the next. Like all of these things are still helpful in painting a broader picture of your relationship with this person and, and of your life events overall. It's creating that that cognitive dis dissonance that's needed to, you know, help you heal and create this new impressions um, in your mind, new imprints on your mind, basically. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the experience, um, you know, just kind of prepare a little bit more for what you're about to experience with the kids. So do you remember I had you um, start out? You you remember, because we've talked about this several times. Start, I had you start out with the Holmes Rahe stress inventory and yeah. all of the different life events. And then I was telling you why I have people start with that is because there are so many things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis that we don't really realize um, take a toll on our health. And we talked yeah. about how you might experience a um, health breakdown within two years just from not dealing with some of these seemingly common life events. So if I'm having you go through these exercises and we see that what we're doing is a form of group therapy, because you're doing it with your family or even talking you know, to me or to someone else is working through it with someone, getting it, releasing that energy. It's talk therapy that goes without saying. It's journal therapy, right? Because yeah. you're writing down a lot of these events. You're thinking about these new ways of looking at it, the, the new impressions that I was telling you about. So it's writing it down. It's visualization because you're actually thinking through these memories. You're playing the events back in your head. And I'm also going to find a way to um, help the visualization, the visual, the visualization <laughs> support some meditation that can be integrated into these exercises. And all of those things help support your health, right? All of yes. those things are forms of therapy that improve your health overall. And so collectively, you see that going through grief recovery does all of those things to support your health, your mental yeah. health, emotional health, physical health. So I love that you all get to experience all of these activities and the, the different shapes um, of healing that they take. And I know that was a lot to say, but, <laughs> but it helps to put that in perspective, what you're doing when you sit down with these kids. You're doing yeah. all of that the group therapy, the talk therapy, the visualization, the journal therapy, all of that, right? Yes. 
So I always say that I'm a strategic communicator first and foremost. So I look to a lot of communications theory in my work, um, you know, navigating conflict and as a change practitioner and in grief recovery support. So there are scholars whose theories have really just supported my coaching across all of those areas. Um, one of them is a Dutch psychologist, and I draw on a lot of his theories to explain um, how conflict and communication styles um, and the way that we handle fear and uncertainty are all rooted in culture and how we were raised and where we were raised. I'll talk about him <laughs> another time, but the other is James Pennebaker. And Pennebaker is known as the pioneer of writing therapy. So his early research um, back in the 1980s, you can see that in all of my exercises. So to look back at past events and really recount the feelings and emotions, you know, surrounding these events, instead of just focusing on the details and reliving them the same way for years, and then to think about the impact on our lives, that's exactly what you get out of these activities. And what Pennebaker found was that the people that he studied who um, you know, showed the most significant physiological changes, um, it ultimately improved their immune function and then improved, saw improvements across so many areas of, of their lives. And back then in the 1980s, it was you know, controversial. Um, and you know, people doubted whether those findings really came from journal therapy and writing therapy, but it's widely observed and documented now how working through life events promotes health. So if you're someone like Lakia, who likes to dive in and really do the work, you know, the self-work and self-care, and you're someone who likes to support that work with theory and scholars, look at James Pennebaker and his writing therapy. I know it's anxiety provoking to, to, to sit down <laughs> and have this conversation with these kids. I know. So is there anything in particular you want to ask in preparation for it? No, I think I asked you the only one being that the, um, the younger two, they're so young. Yeah. But I think what I'm just going to try to do is just say it and then probably rephrase it, mm -hmm. do rephrasing. Mm -hmm. So they understand it at their level. Yeah. Because that was a big thing or big theme still to me this day. I don't mm -hmm. like being lied to. Mm -hmm. I always say I could take a hard truth better than an easy lie. Absolutely. So, like I said, I want to give them the truth just at the level that they can understand it. Right. So th that was like my only question about how to do it. But I think I'm just going to do rephrasing. Yes. To speak to them in their language and in yeah. language that they understand, but then also encourage them to ask questions that there's no question that you won't answer. Oh, they're my kids. They're definitely going to ask questions. <laughs> Yeah. And and all of this is really a trust exercise. When they see, when they hear what you shared and see you be that vulnerable, that vulnerability is a gateway to reestablishing trust. Yes. Right. That there's nothing that they can't, that they can say that will, um, you know, change the way you feel about them. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, and you demonstrating that is is modeling what you're allowing them to do. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. So that activity um, is now working through the GRIE. So just to refresh <laughs> your memory and everyone else's, when I do activities and give, you know, tips and guidance, I try to do it in a way where people can wrap their mind around what they're progressing through. So I do this acronym, you know, we're working through grief. So th that's actually the framework, the grief. So the T was you starting with your truth, you know, the truth about your, your trauma, the H and the E, the history of events, you know, the historical account of your life events. And now we're at the G, R, I, and the E. So the G is guilt, regrets, impressions, and expressions. And that's all captured in this next exercise. So one of the, the key things that I want to make sure you do is let them explain in great detail, you know, just how much they remember of, about the event. I want to make sure you have them draw the emojis if they have trouble communicating their feelings, because what's most important is that they're that they're communicating feelings. And so sometimes okay. it's hard. It's hard even for adults, really, to communicate their feelings. So it's it's especially um, helpful for the younger ones who, you know, still growing their vocabulary. If they can't identify the feeling, then, you know, you can make it a fun exercise to draw the emojis as well. Okay. okay? But that's important to make sure that they're communicating their feelings, um, but then also rating them, because that's one thing that I, that was missing from your recollection, recollection of your life events is that you didn't really tell me the impact of one versus another one event versus another event. But because this is something that you will do ongoing and that you're right. even going to do again with the kids, just make sure you include that as well. Because you okay. including that will remind them to to rate it as well. So how did you know? So how did that feel? Would you say on a scale of one to ten, what? How high was that negative? How low was that negative? Or how much? How high was that positive? Because remember, there can be high and low positives and high and low negatives. Okay. So just make sure you're communicating that along the way to to rate that to rate that positive and negative um, emotion and memory in line with the event. And that okay. it's okay if they all have different experiences, memories, and ratings or scale scaling of those positive and negative events. Okay. All right. Okay. So now moving on to that G, R, I, and E. Um, so this is all in preparation for the, the, the really important part of healing where we can write something that's I call it a release letter. Now, in other frameworks, you know, you've probably heard it. People write goodbye letters. Mm -hmm. You probably heard of completion letters. But I call it a release letter. And I call it that because it's the way I see it is that you're really releasing some type of energy feeling around this person or this event. And it's a, it's a release right now. It's you, you know, being active in the work that you're doing and releasing it right then, but knowing it may resurface again. Yeah. Right. Yes. So even as you were saying last week, you closed out that episode saying, I'm still in this one. Yeah, because that loss is still 
pretty fresh. You all are navigating this in real time. You're doing it together. And there could be things that happen, you know, much later that once you sit and think about it, stem from this loss. Yeah. So there will always be something in motion. So it's about being able to have a toolkit now, coping mechanisms for dealing with all of the different events. So I say release because closure means this has come to an end, right? Completion means this is this has come to an end. And I don't want people to think of it that way. I want to I want people to think of it as this is a toolkit for any and all life events as they resurface or as we are triggered or as we experience flashbacks. What can I do right now? What work can I do right now that helps me release? OK, yes. One of the things that I heard you mention several times last week. You would say things like. And then we got back together and we probably shouldn't have. Or um, you, you remember that? I see you smile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there were a few moments of you saying that. And I want to use some of those examples and I'll let you elaborate. Do you carry guilt? Is there Are there places in your relationship where you feel like you carry guilt around certain decisions? Uh, that is a hard one. That is a hard one. Because yes, the answer is yes. But the toggle and the guilt is always if I could have done differently or if I just should have let it go sooner. Okay. And I think I mentioned last week that religious indoctrination, mm. that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. Because I believe it allows women to put up with abuse. Like abuse mm. is abuse is abuse. Like yeah. you have to call a thing a thing. And then um me and my husband's relationship, it went from physical abuse to emotional abuse. And when he could not do either one of those anymore, it moved to financial abuse. Because he was the only one working. So it just transferred. It just kept transferring, tra transferring. Um, once we got past the financial abuse, um, he had me ask my therapist. Because I just started taking the money. Our accounts were linked together. I started taking what I need. Mm. Because what he would do is make me ask him for every single thing I needed. If I needed a pack of diapers for the baby, I had to get his approval. So I just started taking the money. And he was like, well, ask your therapist if she think it's right for you to take my money. And her response is, that's y'all money, y'all married. <laughs> yeah. So then it became... Let, let me not help her when she need help with the kids. It was always something. Always something. So mm -hmm. the guilt is I feel there are there are times um, when we could have worked harder at a situation. But I think I said the last session, too, you cannot carry people where they do not want to be. Yes. So I wish in all the work that I had done, I learned to let go. And that's what I do now and try to teach my kids. It's okay to stop mm -hmm. loving. Like nobody ever teaches that. Yep. Stop loving. <laughs> like, or, or love from a distance, so to speak. Like he's the father of them. And I always, but it was always this need in me. And that was a big thing that I had to deal in therapy to have a father there for them because mm -hmm. I didn't have a father. Um, my father in the household was not my biological father. I didn't bring that up in the last conversation, even though I wrote it down. I found out as an adult mm. that was not. Um, I think I when I listened to I did listen to the podcast. Okay. When I listened to it, I talked about you'll find out why later, but I never brought it up. 
Okay. Um, so the angst between me and my mother made sense when she told me at 30 something years old, like wow. this man is not your father. And her conversation behind my real father was he didn't want me. So why would he want you? Mm. And for somebody who wanted to be wanted. Yeah. That, that hurt because I would never do that to my kid, you know, mm. <laughs> like what difference does it matter? So, like I said, that was, I guess my kind of, even though I didn't know it till 30 something, I think I carried it. Like there was a problem with her. Um, my dad, whether my real dad or my stepdad wasn't around just because they didn't want to be or because of drugs and alcohol. Like I didn't want them to be father, father, but I think in a way I wanted a father. Yeah. So it was like, Oh, the excuse was he's a father to them. He's a good father to them. But it was really like, and I think that was one of the pivotal moments in the relationship. I told him, um, you want a mother and I want a father and this, we can't be that to each other. We're a husband and wife to each other. And uh -huh. that's the role we need to fulfill. And we've been trying to fulfill these roles that we're missing in our life. And we can't. Yes. Um, yeah. Like well, I said, I do feel this times in particular incidents, especially when the fights happen, mm -hmm. me wanting to be wanted, me wanting to be heard. Sometimes I would like corner him forced conversation out of him mm -hmm. um but i found out through his therapist he had very much because of what he had been through stuck in a fight or flight always okay, okay. so it was either one or the other <laughs> going yeah. to happen and he couldn't remove himself from that like he hadn't done the work so in those incidents i'm like the violence maybe couldn't have happened or shouldn't have happened if both of us just backed off or cooled off but Maybe that's where the guilt was. Okay. Um, and then, like I said, it was Diary of a Mad Black Woman. If y'all seen that movie at some point, the the bitterness came like, oh, he's helpless, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there were some petty moments between us. So that I think those are the guilt things because it's not me. Like, And that's eventually, I think I mentioned it to you, but I didn't mention on the podcast. That's what made me let it go because I'm like, I'm operating in a way that's not me at my core. Oh, you know, mm -hmm. I'm very yeah. empathic. I'm very empathetic. I love loving. I mm -hmm. love giving. I love caring. And then if I have to be a bitch to you, it's not normal yeah. for me to operate that way. Yeah. So yeah. those things I feel guilty about, but I really do think I should have walked away from the relationship sooner because maybe it's just been a different perspective for both of us in the end. Well, what I'm hearing is it sounds like you did actually reach some resolve there that you recognize that um, it's not guilt. And that's really what the goal of this exercise is, is that it's regrets. Yeah. So you have some regrets about your past, um, things that, you know, you had no control over, but you recognize them as such as things that you had no control over. Yeah. So. So you say, you know, regrettably, this didn't happen or regrettably, this, this this didn't go my way. And so that's the that's really the 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 key takeaway in this exercise is turning what feels like guilt into I have some regrets. Yeah. OK, and so that's the G and the R in the exercise, recognizing where you may feel guilt and transferring that into 
regrets. There are things that I cannot change. I wish things had been different. I wish things had been better. You know, you've heard that phrase before. <laughs> <laughs> but now what can I do um, with these regrets so that I feel a sense of, you know, release? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we are talking about then moving on to the I and to the E is how you get there with these new impressions, what, we, what we've been talking about, reshaping, um, reliving these memories to see what we get out of them and seeing is there any place for forgiveness or apologies, whether that's to the other party involved or for yourself. And it sounds like you've made, um, you've come to terms with a lot of these things, forgiving yourself for what you couldn't control. Yeah. So, okay. So do you feel like there's anywhere, is there a sense of incompletion anywhere with how you left things off with him? Um, especially since you've mentioned that moment before of having to, you know, really take care of him in so many different ways because he had the, I don't, I, I say helpless. I know that's not what you mean, but get into a place where he did feel helpless and having to support him through that. Um, have you forgiven yourself in, in what you, how you reacted in some of those situations? Um, is there anything that you still feel like went uncommunicated to him? Um, and when, when it was dire, um, after each stroke, well, the first stroke, the DVT and the second stroke, I was there okay. every single time. Um, if he needed me because his tire blew out or because his car ran out of gas, no, I would not help him. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, you could have prevented that. But when he was sick, I was there. Okay. You know, and when he needed me and when he was, um, I mentioned last week, he had a stroke, but he just wasn't able to respond. But he was still very cognizant of things yeah. that went on um, in the room and mm -hmm. who was talking to him and able to respond through thumbs up, thumbs down. So in the hospital, I would go there every day, all day to the end of visiting hours. So I had to get the kids um, and we had our come to Jesus moment. Okay. I, I told him what I need to tell him. And I know that he heard me because he started crying. Mm -hmm. So, And I told him that I hope he forgives me and I forgive him. And that if he was holding on for some reason that we were going to be okay. Okay. Um, I love that him, you had that. Say again? I said, I love that you had that, that you had yeah. that time with him to communicate anything that you, that you needed to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I definitely used that time. <laughs> yeah. And so now in thinking about, you know, being support for the kids, did they have that? Um, I don't think that they did. And now without my youngest, my, not my youngest son, my oldest son, we, I was having a time with him. Um, and he finally revealed like just a lot of anger that he wouldn't release. And he ran away for about two hours, came back when he was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but just a lot of, and that's, that's what the root of it was. Mm. That he said he didn't feel like he got to say goodbye. Okay. And I had to apologize because I made the decision that he wasn't mature enough to see his father like that. But in retrospect, he was the oldest child here taking care of his father. Mm. Um, and I think I told you um, when he had a stroke. Apparently it, it was all the stroke, you know, he he got nauseous. He and my son literally cleaned all of that up. Mm. He ushered the little kids away from it. 
like he was the one. So I had to apologize to him okay. for thinking of his age and not actually what happened that he was mature. Yeah. And, and that was a release because now it's been like a 180. Okay. So this will, this will be very effective for him then too. Yes. Yeah. He'll get an opportunity to um, elaborate on that and put it in his words. Yeah. Um, and, and say his, what he needs to say. <laughs> yeah. Because when, I guess the immaturity part is, so he had texted me, it was like, dad is sleeping. So he didn't understand something's wrong, but he's telling me everything that happened. And I'm like, yeah. this, this is not sleeping, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, then I respond. But like I said, yeah, I did apologize to him for assuming, mm -hmm. you know, that he wasn't mature enough to handle what was going on because he had to handle a lot in that moment. And he right. handled it very gracefully. And I told him, thank you. Um, he said he didn't feel like dad, his dad knew that he loved him. And I'm like, the reason that your dad did everything that he did was because he loved y'all and y'all loved him, you know? Yeah. So that, that, that will definitely be a helpful exercise then. Yeah. Yeah. Lakia has shared some incredible observations and aha moments in the past eight minutes or so. You can see she is someone who really takes both self-work and therapy very seriously. She takes physical notes, she takes great mental notes, and really seems to put what she learns and observes into action. Did you notice her observation about her husband um, being in fight or flight mode all the time? So she's made a correlation of his past trauma and the nervous system his stress response and his inability to regulate his emotions. It sounds like she really looks for, you know, like the whys of things and then applies that to future events and actions. So these activities are perfect for someone like her. Now, before I jump back into the conversation, I want to point out, Lakia made a decision that lots of parents make to not allow a child to see a person on their deathbed or to attend a funeral. And we know that now it can help a child deal with the reality, excuse me, the realities and the permanency of death so that there's no, you know, misunderstanding or magical thinking about death, about whether their loved one can come back. Um, what happens to the body when a person dies. So kids are visual and can conjure up the wrong images, but they're also very direct. So, you know, clear and direct language, um, appropriate language for them. And you can make that decision as the parent or adult in their life. That's more effective than these gentle euphemisms we use when it, when it comes to communicating death, because Euphemisms take time and context to understand. So we understand those euphemisms as adults, but kids don't understand that indirect language yet. You know, I'm always surprised at how parents can have true crime TV shows or the nightly news playing in the background and they not give a second thought to what kids are observing and hearing. 
So, you know, mass shootings, serial killings, all these brutal homicides that are in true crime shows and um, on the news. And those things are, they have no context. You know, parents aren't sitting and talking to them. There's no explanation. But then they'll run away from just talking to their child in short sentences and simple and plain language about what's happening to somebody they love and who they're not going to see anymore. You know? So think about that as we continue the conversation. Okay. And so it's about, I'll repeat the, re repeat the components of the exercise and then writing the release letter, okay. identifying where you or the kids might feel guilt, communicating that as regrets instead. It's an opportunity to communicate the regrets in that letter. Okay. And then also areas where um, they feel like an apology is needed to them or to the other person, to their dad. Forgiveness is needed to them or to their dad. And then actually expressing that. And I will give you an example of a letter that's that was left out of the activity book that you gave that I gave okay. you. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of a letter. Okay. So do you have any questions about that exercise? Do you have it in front of you? Um, which one? Two or three? Three. Yes. Yeah. So two, so you're, you're kind of, you'll, depending on how cooperative they are, <laughs> how long they engage in the exercise, you probably could do two and three together. But if you only start with two, and let them know that it's in preparation for, you know, helping them write the letter. Um, you can do that too. Okay. And, or it could be something that, you know, you, you guys work into your routine, your family routine and how long they cooperate, co cooperate <laughs> will, will really drive <laughs> what gets, gets accomplished in that set amount of time. So I do remember what I was going to say. You're not alone in making that decision. People struggle with dealing with death and kids all the time, mm -hmm. you know, the decision to not allow them to go to a funeral, the using words like daddy sleeping or sleeping. You know, granddaddy yeah. sleeping instead of um, that he died. Well, my Fabio, she still doesn't understand. Like she knows daddy died, mm -hmm. but ever so often she'll be like, is he coming back from the hospital? Cause mm -hmm. I don't think she's made the connection. Yeah that like there is no coming back from the hospital. And I, I tell her the same thing every time when he died, that means he's no longer here on earth. You know, he's not in his body no more. Like I try to explain it as simply as possible over and over again, uh -huh. but I don't think her little young mind has made the, the synapses yet, the connection. Yeah. So I can um, try to send you some conversation starters for navigating yep. that as well. Do you talk to her about nature? Does she understand when a, let, let's say a squirrel gets hit by a car? No, cause we don't see that and we don't have pets. Yeah. <laughs> so this will, this, her and her sister this is the first, well, we did have a cat that passed, but like they wouldn't have remembered that. Okay. Cause they were younger. So Okay, so it might help. Like maybe. their older siblings have a reference to like, okay, the right. cat died. 
the cat went somewhere and didn't come back. So, yeah, the babies, they don't have a reference. But my six-year-old, she's she understands. She's okay. very much the... I heard you say the intellectual thinker or uh -huh. intellectualizer. That's she's me in a little body. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then that so so you can see the positives then of this exercise, the positives that can come out of these group conversations and yeah. everybody, you know, chiming in and sharing, sharing their experiences and their understanding um, of the loss that those different levels of understanding will probably will be helpful in you communicating to your, to your youngest as well. Yeah. yeah. But it will be, it, I think it would be helpful to ask her what she knows about um, nature, about, okay. like I said, the squirrel, a squirrel getting hit by a car. Tell me what you understand about that. What happened to the squirrel? Okay. You know, something like that. Or um, if you have a, you said you didn't have any pets, but if you have family members or friends that, had a pet and that pet died. Just asking how much she understands and then using that for context and explaining what happened to her dad. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm just, like I said, that oldest one. She's so, I see so much of him in her mm -hmm. and I don't know if she's purposely doing it or if that's just how she is. <laughs> but she tends to model like it was a whole thing, not to disclose her whole thing, but she had mm -hmm. needed something. And it was like this whole process of I had to meet with somebody and da, 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 da. And then afterwards, after she met with the person, they was like, oh, well, she changed her mind. And her reasoning was because he never did it. And mm -hmm. she told me, oh, he said blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm going to be transparent. It was about medication. She needed medication, went through the whole process. She's like, dad told me medication wasn't good. I said, at first I let it go, but then I'm thinking about it. Like, I know your father would not. And she, so I'm digging, asking her questions. Why well, heard y'all over talking? Yeah. So I'm like, you were eavesdropping and made a con made a whole life decision for yourself based on a conversation you were oh. eavesdropping. The letter, well, I already said, I'll give you an example. Cause I know um, it helps sometimes to actually have that example. But the way that the shape that that can take an apology doesn't have to doesn't mean that they need to fetch for something to apologize for. Oh. If there isn't anything they feel like they need to apologize for, don't create it. Oh. So this is going to be purely your observation. So if you feel they're struggling somewhere and you sense that that struggle comes from something they wish that they had done right you know, or got an opportunity to do that they don't feel like they did, then okay. you can say, well, if you feel like you need to apologize to daddy for that, you can write that in your letter. Okay. Or, uh, and the same thing for the forgiveness. If they are um, upset with him not taking his medication, you know, something like that. You said you're, um, I think you said that in that moment when he was feeling what he was feeling, he asked his son to go get his medication. Yeah. So your son may have some emotions or questions or concerns related to that medication. If he had taken that medication sooner or, you know, anything like that. And I don't want to make an example up. I'm just, you know, just, just giving you an example of things to look for in that conversation. So okay. if, you, if you observe 
that there is a sense of incompletion around anything, around anything they wish that they had done or that he had done, communicate to them that that's the opportunity to include it in their letter. Okay. So it could be like, I was disappointed when you yelled at me about blah, 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 but I understand. You know, that's a form of forgiveness as well. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to say, I forgive you for doing this, this, and this. It can be more like, I have come to terms with this incident and I'm okay with it. Okay, so that so it could be just that language, but that's okay. Or, but I get it. <laughs> any, any of those are a form of, like you said, that acceptance, that understanding and a sense of forgiveness. And then while we're on the subject of, of the forgiveness, I also want to point out another way that you can teach them about forgiveness, because okay. there are some things that we do struggle to forgive. And so not all of them will have the same experience as we've said before, but maybe there is something that happened to one of them that didn't happen to the other. And they might say, well, that's hard for me to forgive that. So if you find that they're carrying resentment or they're still carrying um, uh, a disappointment that keeps them from being able to let go and heal, then you present that in a way of letting go of the feeling of resentment. It's not saying that they have to communicate, I forgive you, dad, for, but it's more of saying the resentment that I'm carrying, the ill feeling that I'm carrying, the negativity that I'm carrying, that's kind of preventing me from, from moving on from this, that's what they're letting go of. So you are giving up the feeling of resentment. That's the F-O-R in this method of forgiveness. I had a question about that. And so in okay. doing activity three, EJ's letter is done. My grandmother's letter is done. Okay. My mother's is not. So I just grouped it because that was the major letters. Okay. <laughs> um, I probably still need to do one to um, page and the other child too, because those were like the major losses or everything centered around those. Okay. Um, and this is one I've been trying to work on for a long time because this is like with you the third time that I've like, oh, write a letter to your mom. But I kind of feel like she's very much a, a lot's wife, if you understand what that means. <laughs> like okay. she's always looking to the past. She very much lives in the past. She very much has everything based in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Like, I, yeah, I just, yeah, that's a hard one. And so this, this has honestly I, been years, but I would like to go through this letter of completion, but I don't want her. First of all, I'm, I'm very sure she's not going to acknowledge anything. Yeah. Um, so that's hard because that's, that's what the issue was. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what the issue was from childhood, her not acknowledging anything, but I'm just like, even moving beyond that, like, I don't hold that. Her thing is like to always be the victim, to always be like, well, you're you're so mean and you're evil. And mm -hmm. uh, what's her what's another thing? I just lay it on the altar. Mm. And that gets taxing 
because yeah. I'm like, you're the Pray only one still thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm ready to move on. And, and that's what I try to tell her. Like, look, we can't fix nothing to happen 40 something years ago, but we can start from right here. Yeah. But if you keep going back, like, I can't go there with you. So it's like you're hindering the forward part. Oh, so, so this is tough. We all have that person in our lives, the people that we bump heads with. Here's a great place to interrupt and just share with you why we typically don't share the release letter with the person. Um, you know, if this isn't a death you're dealing with, but uh, but an event or an interaction with someone who is presently in your life, this process is for your healing. It's not for them. They aren't always receptive to your apology or to your forgiveness. So for example, let's say you apologize um, to the person and they say something like, well, I, I don't accept your apology or, well, I don't forgive you. So that would create an entirely new conflict instead of just helping you deal and heal with the existing one, right? Or what if you share an expression of forgiveness and then they respond with something like, well, what do you think you're forgiven? <laughs> you know, what did I do wrong? So as we jump back into the conversation, I want, um, I want you to pay attention to what Lakia's interactions with her mother are like. I want to point out, we talk about what Lakia learned from her husband's past and about his inability to um, self-regulate. So what observations can she make about potential trauma in her mom's past? So Lakia notices a pattern in the way her mother responds to conflict with hurtful statements and, and outbursts. So her mom doesn't seem to have the ability to regulate her emotional state either. Right. And we know that saying hurt people hurt people. So if Lakia were to share her letter with her mother, how do you think that would go? It would be counterproductive. Right. So keep in mind, this letter is for you to express what you need to express to heal, but it's not to be delivered or read aloud to the person. And I do share that with Lakia offline, but I want to make sure I also communicate that to listeners. If she feels like you're saying anything about her, she's going to attack you. Yeah. Because she needs to be the victim in the situation, but she doesn't realize like how nasty she can be. Yeah. How backbiting. I didn't even bring that up. I thought about it after the fact, after we lost Paige. And we, me and EJ were married. We were married to each other. I distinctly remember her being on the phone talking about because we were in sin. That's why the baby died. And then mom, I'm like, who does that? That is not normal. Is not rational. Like no person operates like that. So because of those things, I kind of like try to love her from a distance. Yeah. Because that's incredibly hurtful. Yeah. But yeah. she, she does, she low, I guess low balling is what you would call it or low blowing. Like mm -hmm. she does that quite a lot. quite like, I'm going to bring up. Huh? Ever regret it afterward? No, I don't recall getting mm -hmm. too many apologies. Okay. Yeah. Cause she, she believes she's right. She mm -hmm. believes what she's saying is, is righteous. And either God told her to say it or whatever. 
And my whole thing is like, even if you have to tell somebody the truth, that that's not the way you talk to people. Yeah. So okay. yeah, that the letter with her is like a big question mark because it's been years and years and years. I don't know what to put in it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, do you have any more questions about the group activity with the kids or their letter? No. Okay. It's very, uh, I love the way that you wrote this because it's very self-explanatory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like reading. So it's very easy to read, very easy to work through. Beautiful. Oh, Feel I did have one more question about okay. the um, emojis. Okay. Let them write any emoji or should I set forth a certain, now I'm thinking for the younger ones. Don't like, provide any guidelines them? for the emojis. Okay. Whatever they draw, okay. observe. Observe. And then let them explain. Okay. 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 And then there's also an activity in the in the tail end of it where um, like on the last few pages, where they can draw emojis for you know kind of the things that they feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. And and they can draw from that as well. So it's kind of like a um like a, a, a data bank, <laughs> a bank of, of feelings that they can use as well. So oh. just let that be almost like a, a coloring exercise, like, like journal therapy, like what we were saying earlier. It's um, kind of like drawing stream of consciousness. You know how they say there's no rules, there's no structure. You just draw what you feel or write what you feel. Let it take that shape. Okay. The only reason I ask is because I know the younger one, um, she does an activity where she sees the face and she sees the emotion. So mm -hmm. she knows that like if her face looks like, and we have a mirror. Uh -huh. So like, and she practices making a face. So if she sees somebody else's face look like mm -hmm. that, she knows, oh, this person may be angry. Ah, this okay. person may be sad. Like, I think it's kind of hard for her at her age to be like, oh, this is sad, you know? <laughs> Yeah. kind of tying the actual emotion into what it should look like yeah. or what it like a sad emotion will have a frowny face yeah well you know what so ex let her maybe start with what face she makes okay if you say if you were to explain your feelings to me right now make a face that describes that feeling okay and then when she does that then say now draw that okay so that would be incorporating what you guys already do, okay. the, the exercise that she already knows that you all do, and transferring that to this activity. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that activity. That technique. I'm going to add that to my arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we're going to end the episode. Thank you for listening and for cheering Lakia on. If you want to send Lakia some love and encouraging words, feel free to DM me. I'm on Instagram at It's Marcia Corp, and I'll make sure she gets your messages. And if you want to take the assessment that she and I keep referring to, the assessment of the life events that you've experienced and whether you're at risk of a health breakdown, you can go to my website, marciacork.com. And I'll also drop the direct link in the episode notes. Okay. Until next time, MCs. Bye-bye. Ooh, 
Those F and C Words is an independently produced podcast produced and edited by yours truly, Marcia Cork, and made possible with support from listeners like you. To support the podcast, go to anchor.fm forward slash those F and C words forward slash support or click the link in the show description. If you've made a commitment to self-care in 2023, join my free Hashtag different, better, more challenge on Slack. Come for the accountability, stay for the community. Download the Slack app now and click the link in the show description to join.